food disaster at a wedding at oh. uh, the weekend. You'll love this. Why is it, by the way, the the, the when you go to a venue, you sh- surely they've they've done enough weddings now that they should appreciate the fact that the photographer is probably going to photograph the speeches, right? Mm-hmm. So why organise the crew meal for the speeches? Yeah, it happens uh, so I, many times. Oh. Drives me nuts. I'm more than happy to take Marmite sandwiches and sit in my car. Anyway, so um, I was famished. I think I sent you a text, actually. You did. Absolutely yeah. famished. Yeah. It was about 9pm, 9.30. I hadn't eaten all day. Was that the what Did I um, send you back a picture of my pizza? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they put out a really nice spread mm. outside. I mean, they've just eaten this beautiful meal. It's a lovely hotel. And uh, so the spread goes out, and I think, oh, Nick, something off the edge of that. I'm always feeling uh, de- uh, intensely uncomfortable Ooh, about you see, I, I'm eating all... any food in front of guests. Yeah, I never It's do. just like a no-no for me. Even if I get offered a canapé or oh, I'd take a canapé if I'm offered one, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to take one because that's not my, no. Not my place. No, 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 absolutely. And it's the sweetie, the sweetie table. Oh, sweet Troy. I just oh, have to stay well, well clear of. But anyway, yeah. I thought they look nice. I just want to plunge my hand yeah. deep into them. <laughs> so I saw there was a roll there. It was a, 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 a Look really nice. I mean, I, I mean, rolls are rolls, aren't they? But the, these these rolls look like you know, super rolls. And uh, I thought oh, it looks like chicken in there. Oh, I've quite fancied myself a bit of that. Anyway, I picked this roll up, and it, it was egg. And I, I took a giant almost bite into this thing, thinking it was chicken, and <laughs> it went down my front. It was down my shirt. It was down my jacket. Um, it was down my trousers. And I stood there, and it was almost like everybody. Uh, to a person just turned at that moment and looked at the photographer <laughs> covered in egg sandwich robbing an egg sandwich <laughs> <laughs> I sloped off nothing to see here the Fuji cast anyway hello welcome to um, episode number 16 we're building these up you know now 16 woohoo um, this week thank you to our friends at Simpler Straps for letting us give away a military grade rugged camera strap each to our favourite email question of the week go to simpler.us um, YouTube dropped a suggestion to watch a film by a photographer in San Francisco called Reggie Ballesteros. Why do all photographers have better, sort of more exotic names than us, Kev? Uh, it's not just photographers. Uh, Everybody has a better, more exotic name than no. me. Maybe not you, but me. No, but you know, mine's Neil James. Yours... You have a silent letter in your name. Do I? You have a silent E on the end of Neil. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, yes, that's true. Um, anyway, Reggie, his film about colour science journey from his colour science journey from, from Nikon to Fujifilm ticked a few boxes for us, so we asked him to share his thoughts on that journey on today's show. Your questions about anything Fujifilm or photography related, technical geek work they are, artistic or even personal, as they have been getting recently, uh, click at fujicast.co.uk and there's our self indulgent minute where we thank you for your wonderful reviews you've been making at Apple Podcasts. I do want to mention something else that's really 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 important coming up in november there is a certain conference correct the x weddings conference yes. number two number two yeah did you ever think you'd get to that number no i didn't ever think i'd get to number one frankly and i didn't think my marriage would survive it but we did just about we're just finishing counseling now so i decided to to crack on with number two and try and put a nail in the coffin of the, the marriage <laughs> will Gemma be there at this one no i, I don't think so yeah, yeah. she will she, she yeah, you know maybe. you without Gemma's like strawberries without cream yeah um gin without tonic yes more likely yeah more likely 
Exactly, yeah. So uh, 13th and 14th of um, November in Bath at the Hilton, just as it was last year. Yes. The Expert Inns Conference. And uh, we have, we've pretty much got the speakers lined up. I'm yeah. just waiting on one of that and um, we'll be good to go. So I'm not going to announce the speakers just yet. Yeah. But, Although um, by the time this cast comes out, because we do record them slightly in advance, you may well have said, maybe by a day or so, yeah, that's I mean, very knows? true. Very true. So if you have announced them, doesn't it look a great lineup of speakers? Amazing. Amazing. I could not Amazing. wish for anything better. Yeah. But if we haven't, oh, yeah. it's looking good. Yeah, it's looking good. Well, it's going to be good anyway. We, but, the role but, we, you, but, uh, you. Well, no, 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 you. you're part of it. You help me a lot, especially with the audio side of stuff. Um, so, yeah, we will we will be doing it 13th and 14th of November at the Hilton in um, Bath. Bath. Yeah, it's yeah. a beautiful... So I think it was... Steve Vaughan I saw on a post that you'd, you'd done something about it said uh, for anybody that's coming from overseas Bath is one of the most beautiful cities in in, in the country and yeah. it is it's a fantastic it place to hold a conference it's Steve the reason why I right. kind of went there I mean it's relatively close to where I live but it's 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 great and yeah. you know you can fly to Bristol and it's 25 oh, minutes it's on so the train easy. from Bristol it's so easy yeah it's very good um, oh, are we going to do a podcast there as well we should do shouldn't we yeah I'm sure we will yeah should do a, a round table one maybe yeah. the end of a day in a breakout room or or maybe as the end feature of the actual day one of the conference yeah because we had the Q&A thing last year didn't we and that yeah. worked really well so the Q&A could kind of work as a podcast hand in, hand in the microphone if you strap your audio recording um, stuff to the microphone well I, I was thinking actually did um, that anyway. in question time styley the BBC question time where somebody has a big boom and they go into the audience mm. and ask questions mm. could set something up like that couldn't we you've got the biggest boom I've ever seen <laughs> well thank you very much I'm it's very re- proud of my boom it's really hairy as well <laughs> it's sitting down there by your side funny enough if you just look down there it's like an animal it's like an animal this thing right questions do you want to launch have you got one do yeah, you want to yeah. launch first okay so I have one um, mm. and uh, Roberto Munoz I always give you these ones because I like anything from Peru Brazil Spain Argentina goes instantly your side of the desk uh, H-E-R-I-B-E-R-T-O-M-U-N-O-Z right so uh, almost definitely pronounced it wrong uh, I think it is Peru where's Guarabo 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 Mm, anyway Alan Gump do you know <laughs> yeah I'm a big fan of Kevin Mullins's <laughs> YouTube channel and Instagram doesn't mention you at all Neil um, <laughs> I like the film simulations that you uh, you recommended last year Street Day Night Portrait Merowitz A Par Padilla that was a YouTube film oh, I did yeah, about custom yeah, yeah, settings yeah yeah are you using the colour chrome effect now on the X-T3 or any other updates to those film simulations okay which is a really good question uh, oh Puerto Rico there we Puerto go. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. And in fact, I, uh, this is going to be my strap. My, my question of the week is going to go to Puerto Rico. You're going very early. Yeah, I am indeed. Um, mostly because he says at the bottom, if you're still giving straps away, please send it to me. So I am. Does Puerto Rico give me a chance to play my... No? Mm. No, okay. I'm not sure. I think that's more Mexican. Anyway, color chrome effect, etc. So in the um, in the XT3 and originally in the GFX, yep. uh, we had things like the color chrome effect and the grain uh, strength of grain, and also now in the XT3 we have the monochrome warming up and cooling down. Um, and the color chrome effect, I have to say, 
I use it. I've, I've applied it. He's referring to my presets, the custom settings that I use. And the one that I've applied it to is the PAR setting. So the Martin PAR setting that I try and emulate right. his very high contrast, colourful, uh, filmic. And there's a particular blue about Martin PAR. Yeah, so, so it's based on kind of Velvia. Uh, film sim and uh, so the, the the chrome effect the color chrome effect adds a little bit of vibrance although I have to say I find it quite difficult to to see it myself I mean you can but it's not it's not doesn't jump off the page if you like and the thing about that setting the color chrome effect setting is that it slows the processing down a little bit and you know everything's a kind of just a little bit slower so that's the only one really other than that I don't, I don't the really color know. chrome sorry the color chrome slows when it's saving that file, when right. it's saving that JPEG, it's doing a, more processing on top of it. So, so would you always suggest? Oh, if you're shooting RAW, it makes no difference. Of course, but if you shoot RAW, it makes no. But difference. But if you're shooting JPEG, to shoot standard. Is that what you? Well, if you're shooting JPEG, uh, you need to be very careful about things like the color chrome effect and the grain, um, weak, high, off, all that kind of stuff, because they do add processing time a lot uh i would say it's noticeable okay. yeah especially if you're shooting in burst right. so yeah and and definitely on the gfx because you know those files are so big anyway it's right into the card mm. um but yeah so to answer your question Hiroberto, um martin par one i've added it to it works okay but it's not something i would necessarily recommend just general shooting i i've got two here this, this is bear with me because this is quite a long um in terms of a question and a follow-up bit to the question, which you'll understand in a moment. But but I thought it was really interesting. There were two mails that came in. First one from Chris. Um, thanks for reading my... Chris Hunt, this is. Thanks for reading my email and for awarding me a camera strap. Oh, that was the one that... Yeah, okay. <laughs> Chris, I'm glad you got a sense of humour. <laughs> yeah. You're still talking to us after <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I enjoyed the podcast, especially the piece at the end about street photography and what's happening with people becoming outraged at street photographers. I've been asked recently, are you CID? When I took a snap of a street worker, I've been told I had to leave an area, a public place, because uh, I was said I was disturbing... <laughs> this, this chap said I was disturbing the birds feeding at the water's edge. <sighs> Um, the man who did this shouted down to me from a window. Well, that's not disturbing the birds at all, is it? <laughs> and took my photo and said he would be reporting me. For what and for whom? I'm not quite. And to whom? I'm not quite sure. I've also been asked to leave a shopping precinct because I was taking a photograph of a charity-supported sculpture of an owl, which is part of a series of owl sculptures. It's an interesting thing, though, with shopping precincts because they do actually have because usually they're private property, aren't they? And you have to gain permission to yeah. to photograph on private property. So the the shopping precinct thing. Um, no matter it being a charity thing, I, I do hear you there. Yeah, um, that that is probably maybe private property. Is there a reason that it, that, it depends that could be? a little bit? I mean, I, I'm assuming by referring to it as precinct, he's probably in America. We don't know where Chris Hunt is. Oh, but. I see. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. So well, law, maybe America have the same rules with uh, they, I mean, they private do have, property. They do have the same rules. I'm um, sure. But you know, if you're in, let's just say we are in uh, the Oracle Center in. Reading, yep. and there's a, a really nice statue, mm-hmm. and you stand there and take a picture with your Canon DSLR or your Fujifilm camera or whatever, and that's fine. And then the person next to you who stood there with their iPhone takes a picture of it. Yeah, that's fine also. 
Um, who's going to get? The, who's going to get clobbered? Exactly. Yeah. And in fact, that's what Chris goes on to say. Mm. He says exactly that. My point is that if I'd been using a smartphone like millions of other people do, would anyone at all have taken a blind bit of notice? Mm, probably not. And and I'm very surprised actually if you were just taking a picture of some art installation mm. that they they you know they took took umbrage to it, but who knows there, there may have been other stuff in it but the, the story with the birds that's very funny the mm. fella <laughs> so you're so, disturbing the birds yeah he might as well have used a bird scarer and then the best thing is he took a picture of him <laughs> <laughs> you cannot yeah. take pictures oh the I'm irony take a picture of you taking a picture yeah the irony is the word correct yeah yeah mm. uh, well that does leap on to the next one and this i'm i'm going really early with the strap as well so i don't forget it yeah simon pickard from is it quadditch in in devon quadditch i mean i know quidditch which is a game in harry potter mm. but quadditch i'd never heard of that before um sounds like a nice place though it does well anywhere in devon sounds nice well, that's true yeah. yeah um episode 12 referring back to don mccullen exhibition thank you for another uh, podcast chaps already listened to this one twice i think i'm left in a somber and reflective mood truth to be no- truth be known as the audio covering the don mccullen segment was powerful enough to make me stop and think of where the human race has got to in 2019 where it's going to in the future and how it must have been 500 years ago i agree with kevin that the world is a far better place now than it was 500 years ago but unfortunately there are still those who commit atrocities against their fellow men and women They've been there throughout history and most likely continue with us for eternity. At the end of March this year, spent spent a happy hour in Oakhampton taking photographs of architecturally interesting buildings and other things of interest with the XE3. I played the hapless tourist while I shot away and by and by was left alone for a couple of huffs and tuffs, uh, tuts maybe. On relaying my experience to my daughter, she assured me she, she whipped out the iPhone, walked up and down every street, in and out of every shop in Oakhampton, sneakily photographing and videoing constantly. Nobody would take the slightest notice of her, which is true. True. But what's interesting is this, and uh, it's not so much a question as such, but I thought this was a really interesting thing. And thank you, Simon, for bringing this to our attention. When I was a member of the RPS, Royal Photographic Society, the membership was uh, issued in, in August 2010 with a credit card size printed card called Know the Facts. Yeah, I've seen it. Please stop and search rights under Terrorism Act. Mm-hmm. After a series of complaints to the RPS from members that have been held by the police for taking photographs, mainly, it seems, in London. There are nine bullet points. Here we go. Um, Every person has a right to photograph in a public place. It is not against the law to photograph a police officer understanding normal duties. The police do have a duty to investigate incidents which may give rise to suspicion. If stopped by a police officer, remain calm and polite. You are not required to give any personal details unless driving a car or you are arrested. Officers may stop and search you and view images if they believe they could be used in connection with terrorism Officers have no powers to delete images. PCSOs may not search without a police officer present. You must be provided with a copy of the stop and search slip, which will include the officer's identity. I th- I'm, 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 I mean, I I'm think that's sure they, what all those rules still exist. Great idea by the the Royal Photographic Society, one of those societies that I believe are top of the tree when it comes to supporting the industry. Yeah. Um, that is a really, really good idea. And you think they still exist? That's, yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure those rules still apply. I don't think that card goes out anymore, does it? <sighs> I don't know. I have seen it also. And um, mm. I know that there, you can get similar things on the internet. And I think the NUJ supply their journalists with stuff and yeah. you know things like that too. Um, it's sad, isn't it, that we have to do that? But 
you know, this goes back. We mentioned this way, 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 way back. That there is an undercurrent of, especially street photographers who are purposefully going out there to cause trouble, to antagonise the establishment, yeah, just to be able to say, "Hang on, I've got the right to do this." There's a guy on YouTube that uh, specialises in that, and he just is such a belligerent guy. He stands there. And oh, and he'll even, I mean, it's commentary. Mm. It's commentary. He must, he sets another camera up, I'm sure, to record himself. His commentary is like, here we go. All right. And you think, you don't, you don't help anybody no. by doing this. No, you no, don't no. help anybody. No. All you're doing is, is making it far harder for the mm. next photographer and the next and the next and the next. Yeah. And there's part of me that just wants to say in, a, in an extremely immature fashion, grow the f- up. <laughs> I love, that's very clever the way you did that without any sound effects I know I've been practicing that <laughs> yeah but. quite right okay really good so, point thank you very much for that yeah well done Simon um, okay so this is Matt Cook yep. and Matt Cook says loving the podcast fellows keep it up this subject has been plaguing my mind of late I'm sure you have touched on a similar subject matter before but that here I am asking for a guide in light of wisdom how do you overcome being your own worst enemy hmm. I know I'm the one holding me back from ending up where I want to be photography wise but I am my own worst critic but there is just an overwhelming feeling of not being good enough or is this just all part of the game that's that's camera strap worthy as well that one you know I'm sure this is a feeling that just about every photographer goes through so I'm positive it will make for a lengthy discussion it will make for a lengthy discussion however I I would like to kind of summarise it by basically saying I think all photographers should always think that they're not good enough because the moment you think I'm a good photographer is the moment that probably becomes a little bit problematic um, personally that's my opinion mm. um, uh, we should all be our own worst critic that's uh, you know we don't all have the the benefit of a, a personal curator so we are our own curators and that's the way it is and you know what we have mentioned it before as you, as you mentioned that when I look at my own work I, I, I'm often the you know tut in and I'm in and are in and <laughs> you know and, and not that not that it's necessarily bad but it's you know you always want it to be better and I think that's a good thing to always want it to be better do you feel that you've you've got to that stage what that it's better yeah um I, it's better than it was last week and hopefully next week it will be better than it is this week yeah I like that answer. Yeah. I'm going to give you a camera strap. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, your own worst enemy. You, yeah. you, we all are. And you just have to uh, ultimately try and push past that and see past that. And, you know, uh, uh, concentrate on the, the the emotion that's in the pictures and the, the delivery of those emotions to the client, the people that are going to be seeing it. If it's your own personal work, then you've got the latitude to work harder with it and to make different images that you feel more appealing. Mm. It's not always going to be just because they're bad pictures. It could be just because the moment wasn't quite right or you chose to photograph at the wrong time of the day and the light isn't great and you're, you're upset with the fact you didn't get the shutter speed right or something. That's just technical learning. But the, uh, you know, looking at an image and sitting back and going yeah that was great that's a great image of course that happens but it's not going to happen every single time just won't i've been sitting on this email for uh, for weeks and weeks sometimes you'll read something over and they think i'll do that one this week and maybe i'll do it next the week the, the week after and then you, anyway chris mcsherry thank you for this so i recently had a shoot in the maternity ward i didn't want to bother all the parents in the ward with camera clicks so i shot everything with the electronic shutter on the x pro 2 and xt3 
all of the pictures turned out fine as I had huge windows for natural light to work with. One picture was shot with the X Pro 2 which had uh, which has a, a hint of rolling sh- rolling shutter question mark mm-hmm. but not enough to ruin the picture. I was in aperture mode with auto ISO. I guess the ES in the X-T3 is generally better now as I've found too many issues of rolling shutter but maybe that has more to do with my lack of understanding how best to use it. Is there a general rule of thumb for using the electronic shutter? Is it best kept for natural light? How do I avoid any risk of rolling shutter and how often do you guys use it if at all oh i like this on an added note i completely typed this email with neil's voice in my head <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> what do you think kev on that one um, you've talked about um uh, electronic shutter and the way you use it before yeah um so there's there's two there's two downsides of the electronic shutter which is this idea of rolling shutter and banding mm. okay so the so it's a banding i was thinking about that's not, that's what not he's, really the rolling shutter. that's what he's referring yeah, to yeah, yeah. so the banding is when you can see shadows coming down the frame in uh, when you're shooting and ultimately it comes down to the frequency of the lighting okay so um you know you can you can mitigate it to a certain extent by using a shutter speed that's a multiple of the frequency of the lighting of the country you're in <laughs> right. so i think in this country we work at 50 uh megawatts it's or whatever it is 50 megahertz megahertz 50 hertz not megahertz Mega- 50 hertz 50 hertz yeah. and so if you're shooting at a 50th 100th or 150th then that, that might mitigate it however it you know it may still be there and it, it, chris is right it is better it's greatly reduced in the xt3 for sure and and you know will only get better in the future this is something that all cameras struggle everybody that has an electronic shutter struggles mm, from this mm. it's not a fujifilm thing um until this this hallowed global shutter that everybody seems to talk about that nobody seems to know what it is and that that's meant to fix that but um the what i typically do is and i think again we briefly mentioned this before i'll go somewhere and i'll just run a burst of images on the electronic shutter and, and look at the lcd on the back and you can see it you can you can yeah. just see that if you see that then you just yeah, you, you just don't use it don't use you know. it yeah um, I mean, the click isn't so loud on no. these cameras that I think it would offend anybody anyway. No, absolutely. I don't think so. I think I mean, the, more, the more time you use a Fujifilm camera you, you, and you use a um, um, mechanical shutter, I think in your mind you, you forget a little bit what it used to be like. You're, oh, God, yeah. You know, I, you know, what was the noisiest camera you've ever had? Canon 1D Mark IV. Yeah, it, I thought you were going to say. It was like, and I've said this loads of times, <laughs> it's like scaffolding falling down. <laughs> if you put that on continuous, it's like... Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Make try, brilliant try, pictures though try telling a vicar in the church so it's got an almost silent shutter yeah. <laughs> would you like to there we go did you hear that you have cough at the same time yeah, yeah. no it was great though it was it was a good camera but but that was one of its downsides yeah um, but i think that's what happens now we we've got used to mm. almost silent work and silent work sometimes that when we do click that uh that that, that shutter you think oh that's a bit loud isn't it in actual fact it's so quiet yeah even 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 at its loudest and actually it it really makes me makes me laugh because if you if you watch if you watch tv and even some people when you're watching them when they're using their iphones or their mobile phones whatever it's really funny when if you're watching a tv show and they purposely switch on the the shutter sound on the iphone just so you can they can pass over the fact that they're taking a picture yeah and that's ridiculously loud if they've got their speaker up high. Yeah. And, you know, and it's it's the same, like, you know, when, when the kids or the, or Gemma or whatever are using their, their camera, it's, 
yeah. and that's totally electronic sound there's no need for it to even be there no, no, there's no shutter going off not at all and that's louder than than like the mechanical shutter in the X Pro Two and stuff. Um, but the Chris Chris was actually in a birthing environment, so he was trying to to be as silent as possible. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, you, you have to weigh up effectively if the noise of this camera is going to interfere with something medical. Right. Then don't take the picture. Yeah. That's that's it. Uh, it uh, well, not necessarily don't take the picture, but take the picture with the electronic shutter. Mm-hmm. And if it's got a band through it, then it's better to have a picture with a band through it than a, an upset um, mother giving birth. Than no image at all. Uh, or no image at all. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, in fact, I took that uh, principle on when I shot the wedding, uh, wedding, sorry, when I shot the funeral, uh, apologies, um, of the little boy in um, in Suffolk. Uh, good few months back now, I appreciated that actually I was getting a touch of banding. I was using um, an X100F. I was getting a touch of banding on absolutely silent shutter. Mm-hmm. But I was happy to um, exist with that and, and then, then have any any noise at all. Now, the electronic shutter on the – the mechanical shutter on the X100F is still – pretty damn it's, it's quiet quiet yeah the electronic shutter obviously is 100 percent silent I think, I think i was just super super aware of anything mm, yeah about, yeah, yeah no, that, absolutely on that, on that particular absolutely. day but thank you very much for for your question shall we go for the uh, self-indulgent uh, minute and then uh, we'll go for some more que- oh no then we then we've got reggie ballesteris and then we've got some more of your of your questions so kev you can go first okay so this is ian bursell who is a great photographer in his own right uh mm. great podcast neil and kevin and thanks for the mention and answering my question in episode 6 loving the production humour chat and advice you guys are giving keep up the good work nice to have this playing during the day while I'm working it's like having a couple of mates in the office with me minus the beers mm-hmm. um, this one is from Salzy I've just listened to all the episodes over the last week I'm now he's binged I'm sad I have none left great info great personalities damn good fun keep it up and thank you for continuing to give your time and help to support the industry and those like me with the aim to be a full time photographer James Sauce thank you very much this is from The Edge Picks which I believe is Scott Johnson oh. uh, great podcast I love to listen as I edit my weddings he's keep, good keep it up he is good um, the production is awesome and the interviews of the photographers who aren't mainstream are excellent and opening my and I'm sure other listeners world of incredibly talented photographers Angel Angel for Lie um, I've just started to get into photography and just five oh, five stars and that was it well done five stars is good five stars is good yes yeah, Feel when, free to leave when, less if you so wish. <laughs> no, yeah. we, 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 we will never be your friends and talk to you or send you Christmas presents. Straight off the Christmas card yeah. list. But honestly, <laughs> uh, your integrity is important. We appreciate that. But we uh, more than anything appreciate the, the, the reviews. And um, thank you for... Thank you for continuing to do them within Apple Podcasts. It does, and you know, actually, it does make a huge, a huge difference. It really does. It's massive. It does. Um, when you change to Fujifilm. Um, the first thing you must have did you did you struggle? Is struggle too strong a term? And the first thing you must have uh, thought about was how are you going to make everything match up with the portfolio that? And now I know your portfolio now when you look mm. online, that's all going to be Fujifilm pictures. Mm. But of course, there would have been quite a, a, a difference, a stark difference in those days as well between that that you took on Canon and that that you there, took on the Fujifilm. There Canon. is some legacy stuff on my website if you dig deep enough right, from okay. back in the day, some Canon stuff. Um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, it is a uh, it's the very different sensors, different uh you know, full frame to APS-C. Uh you know, everything is is different the color depth. What were the everything. differences that you noticed straight away? Um 
I have to say, I thought that back in those days, you know, I was I was seeing more grain at mm. lower ISOs than than I was with my Canon system back yeah. in those days. But that was a symptom of APS-C and muddier skins. Yeah, well, the skin tone, waxy stuff. skin. Yeah, yeah, that was in the JPEGs. But yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, so yeah, there was definitely there was substantial differences. But also, there were I'm, I, I remember manipulating Fujifilm RAW files from that time, mm. and the skin was still difficult to work with. Yeah, when you got to high ISOs, it yeah, was. Yeah. yeah, and and you know that the reason why that happened was uh, also I'm told is because in Asia, women ladies would prefer to have waxy skin than grainy skin. Oh. So it's almost like a marketing thing. Okay. Um, so people wouldn't buy the cameras if they were seeing cameras producing. Is that true? Is that just a hearsay thing? I believe it's true. All right, okay. Yeah. All right. But then actually, you know, they realise that it's not those people that are buying the cameras. It's, it's re- professional yeah. photographers. And they want reality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, um, I, I watched a YouTube film um, a good couple of weeks ago now by a photographer called Reggie Ballesteros. And um, he was talking about his switch from uh, Nikon or Nikon, of course, because he's American, to um, the Fujifilm system. And um, as I watched it, I thought, do you know, Reggie's going to make a really, he would make a super, super guest for, for, for the podcast uh, for, for a few minutes or so, 10 minutes or so, just to just talk about his, his um, change from one system to the other. And we've talked a lot about Canon, we've talked about Sony, but we've, we've never really talked to anybody that's, that's made the switch from um, Nikon to Fujifilm. So for that reason, I thought it'd uh, be, uh, be great fun this week to talk to uh, this chap, Reggie Ballesteros. So Reggie, congrats on the YouTube channel, which is which is growing fast, isn't it? The Fujifilm community seems to have really embraced you. You must be really happy about that. Yeah, I mean, so when when the XT3 came out, um, I was really inspired by you know the fact that it has such you know powerful video capability, and you know having been interested in YouTube and kind of like the strategy behind it, um, I kind of jumped on knowing that the XT3 was going to be a very niche audience. Um, and I started trying to push out content just to to help others who either just got an XT3 or maybe considering switching from a different system to the XT3, especially working through all the problems that I had coming from an icon system to Fuji. And yeah, I'm pretty excited that it's it, it's, it's it caught on a lot more than I thought just because wedding photography is really my primary focus. It's growing a lot faster than I had expected, but I'm definitely... Um, excited to kind of help others out in their journey to Fuji. So, look, we've chatted with photographers who've come over from Canon, and uh, we even had a Canon ambassador on the show, but uh, but not specifically yet from. I'm going to keep. I'm going to try not to say Nikon because that's how we say it in the UK. It's Nikon. I've got to say Nikon, <laughs> but not specifically yet from, from Nikon. Um, what was the What was the first Fujifilm camera you picked up, and why was that? Um, the first Fujifilm camera that I purchased was the X100S back in 2014, and it was actually a wedding gift for my wife. Um, so she she and I both had photography interests, but she always had more interest in the classical, like you know, film style range style range finder style cameras and i thought that you know as a travel camera it would be a perfect camera for her to kind of use and she absolutely loved it she loved she hated the evf she wanted to use the optical viewfinder all the time and i would i would borrow the camera a little bit and use the evf she's like why is this on just because it's she really likes the classical framing of a viewfinder and just kind of like catching the moment and you know um so that's 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 where my Fujifilm kind of uh, experience started was was yeah with the X100S. One of the things I noted on the film that you made about your switch across from Nikon is that the Fujifilm gear you've now selected now actually weighs more than than that that you were carrying around before. 
Um, yeah. Now, you do kind of answer the question in, in, in the, the film, but for those that haven't seen the film, so why that switch? Because for most people, it's the weight, isn't it? Initially, it's the weight. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And, and that's one thing that I wanted just to keep it honest, because I, I, I'm part of a lot of Fujifilm Facebook groups, and everyone has these specific reasons why they switch over to Fujifilm. And directly for wedding photography, when I'm out in the field on a wedding day, I do not really strive for a lightweight kit. I want to go for ergonomics or quickness. Um, you know, so I opt for having the battery grip just so that it can balance better with the large aperture glass. Um, and as far as the lens selection goes, I, I really like to go for the brands basically kind of like flagship or, you know, they're very famous, uh, lenses for their character. Um, so typically on Nikon, I was shooting with a 20, 28 millimeter, uh, 1.4, a 58 millimeter, 1.4 and a 105 millimeter, 1.4. Um, but they didn't have any direct equivalents in the, in the crop sensor, like, uh, field of view for those lenses. So I kind of opted to have a little bit more more range so i had um you know the 16 millimeter 1.4 is really 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 awesome lens on fuji it's pretty much my favorite lens just because of how focused how close it focuses um but it didn't really give me all the range that i needed to you know i was going from um 20 uh, actually sorry i had a 20 20 millimeter 1.8 as well on the on the wide end for nikon so i needed to try to bridge all that range but i I couldn't really settle on just having like maybe like a 24 and a 50 or, or sorry, a 20, sorry, I'm getting all mixed up, a 16 millimeter and a 35. Um, I, I still wanted that in between range to get closer to a 20, 28 millimeter full frame equivalent. So, um, I, I opted for having more lenses. So the 16, the 23, the 35, the 56, obviously, because that's a very great portraiture lens. It's also a very great documentary lens as far as kind of taking a step back to pull those candid moments. And then I have the 90 millimeter F2 just for the sake of having reach if I need it. I actually don't pull it out that much during the wedding day, but it's, it's basically my emergency range lens. Um, I don't personally use zoom lenses so that's why you don't see me having the 50 to 140 millimeter zoom lens um but yeah it's 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 more of a at this point i was adjusting to the system um and trying to figure out what lenses i could kind of part with um and i'm still you know the, between the 23 millimeter and the 35 millimeter 1.4 i still can't figure out which one i'd rather just leave at home to to make it lighter so i, I take i take all of them and it ends up being like a smidge heavier than the nikon system that i had um but at, at the end of the day the the weight savings on the wedding day wasn't really a factor for me just because i am younger um and i do have a uh, a hold fast sling um that i carry two bodies with so it's not really an issue for me as far as weight it was more about having the ergonomics and just um being able to not have to switch the batteries out as fast just because the battery life of like i think two fujifilm batteries is closer to like one of nikon's versus it's just something that i didn't want to have to worry about so for me um my biggest one of my biggest motivators for making this it wasn't really a switch it was more because i already had a full pretty much full fujifilm kit was to condense my uh, systems down to one just because I noticed that when I was out shooting every single day documenting my family and going out for travel um, I was using the Fujifilm system and getting very familiar with the controls and just using an EVF really using the EVF was something that I was almost relying on I want to come back to the Nikon just for a moment the D750 is known for for the absolutely incredible dynamic range I mean, there's no doubt about that 
um, it had and still has for those who use it. I know people that that use it and love it and would would never never part with it. You, you, you know, you'd have to pay them a lot of money to part with it. And they probably wouldn't <laughs> even do it then. Yeah. So you're swapping to an XT3. How has the dynamic range thing really worked out for you? Because of course there's a yeah. difference. Yeah. I mean, if you if you ask somebody who's a true like Fuji fan, um, that's like the only camera that they love and use. They might say, oh, it's ju- it's just as good as the Nikon D750, if not better. No regrets. But for me personally, I've used them out in the field on professional settings, and it's definitely isn't the same. Um, with an, with an icon, you could underexpose a ISO thirty two hundred photo and still be able to push it up a couple stops without any real noise reduction needed. Um, you can just shoot correctly exposed at ISO thirty two hundred on the Fuji if you're dealing with the RAWs, um, and you're going to have to introduce a little bit of noise reduction. It was something that I was not very familiar with with my current Nikon workflow, so just being able to embrace that, I needed to add some noise reduction, I needed to adjust the sharpening, I needed to adjust the masking and all that stuff was something that I had to get used to, but um, I think with the EVF, it kind of helped me to not have to rely on underexposing. With the Nikon, you know, you're, you're, t- you're using a DSLR, which you can't really preview the exposure or have even a live histogram showing when you're shooting um, especially those very fleeting moments where the, the lighting is all changing but with the EVF you can already preview that and you can make sure your exposure you know is very, is very close to accurate without even so that you don't have to do any adjusting in post so I think the EVF has countered countered the fact that the dynamic range is there especially if because of the on the evf has a histogram as well as the highlight warnings as far as um my approach goes i don't underexpose on nikon i would underexpose just by default probably like one to one and a half stops just because i because yeah, i knew yeah. it would come back I had, I had yeah i had the very same habit with when i was a canon exactly user, which i can't have exactly now. so but you know with fuji I, i'm always trying to correct ex, uh, expose very correctly and if i'm going to underexpose on purpose i'm always for me personally i i only do that at the base iso um a, a lot of people say that the sensor technology you can do it at like ISO 800 or something, but for me, it doesn't seem to be as clean as just doing base ISO. At base ISO, you can push back the shadows maybe two and a half stops at most, but you're going to have to put some noise reduction. But, you know, for the most part, um, a lot of my clients are consuming their their photos on in the digital realm. So whether it be on, you know, a website or their, their Instagram or something like that. And it's only... For me, just because of the age demographic of my clients, the printing is is something that I'm trying to get more people to do as far as the printing and the albums go. But for the most part, um, you know, nitpicking based on, you know, 100% zooming for a print is not as big of a concern for me than something that looks great on, you know, Instagram or Facebook at this point. So San Francisco is a, is a lot sunnier than the UK. I can tell you that. <laughs> yes, one, yes, yes. One of the things I first noticed when using a Fujifilm camera again against the, I'm going to again again against the Canons that I used before, is the the sheer difference in how details are registered on those those exceptionally hot days. You know, when, how how are you opening up these shadows? I actually made a video on this if people want to check it out. But um, the way that I maximize the dynamic range for um, shooting against the sunlight for the most part is one you got to light it properly. Um, you have to be you, you can't just put them in full shadow and just hope it's gonna. It's going to, you know, it's going to come back up. You have to be kind of understanding like what type of shot you're going to take. But if I'm going to 
take a shot that I'm going to rely on bringing it back in post. Um, one thing I do is I put it in bracket mode, um, which is super, super nice on the X-T3. You can bracket at the lame 11 frames per second, and I'll bracket the shot um, at base ISO. And then from there, I'll kind of play with each file to see which one has the most um, information. And then in Lightroom, I actually use a graduated, I think it's called it, yeah, a graduated filter to... Um, underexpose the sky a little bit and bring back the exposure of the subject and kind of brush it out. Um, and I kind of overview that technique in one of my um, YouTube videos of maximizing the dynamic range of a Fuji system. One, one thing you said on, on your film is that um, you had to make a lot of changes to your photography style in order to embrace the X-T3. And I think, I think we're, we're establishing that as we're chatting now. Um, so, so to embrace that camera as your main pro camera body now, the, you've, you've, had to, you've had to adapt the way that you work now for some people that would be a reggie that would be a strange way around <laughs> because um changing your changing your style for a camera um not changing a camera to suit your style uh, for me like the one thing that i think is is immensely helpful is that it's it's gonna expose my mistakes a lot so if i make a mistake in composition with lighting or anything the xc3 is not going to forgive me for that and it as a wedding photographer after being in a wedding photographer for five years i felt like it's a great next step for me to up my game as far as composition and lighting go because i cannot make mistakes with that and i do feel that i have enough experience to kind of in the field be able to adjust and know when i'm making th that mistake because of the evf um so as far as you know with depth of field even if you have a shallow depth of field sub uh photo on a full frame um, if your composition is bad it's still going to be bad it's just blurred out a little bit more so people can't notice it but on the fuji um, you, you're gonna if you have like a distracting line right behind the couple's head or something it's it's gonna it's gonna be obvious um, so the evf will help you kind of see that but at the same time once you nail a really good framing of your subject on um on a crop sensor, it's going to look awesome just because everything is so sharp. Everything is going to be more and more focused. Those shapes that you're using to frame the subject are going to be more bold. And that's something that's really, I think for me, that um, I've really been happy with uh, my photos coming out. They, I have, I don't think there's a big shift in my style. I think it's just shifted in the way that I want it to evolve. It just just finally, there's one, one well, it's not just one thing. It's many things, many things that I've noticed about, about your work that I like. Um, the skin tones, you have a particularly good skin tone across all your, mm. your photographs. Um, just, just take me through that process just a little bit. I, I know that you're going to be releasing these presets, yeah. so you can't, <laughs> you can't divulge yeah. too many details. But just take me a little bit through that and, and, and how you found that change. Because I think for a lot of people, that's the hardest thing when they swap from Nikon or Canon or whatever they're swapping from. Yeah. Um, one thing that I've noticed that when you switch to any camera system, or if, for example, when you shoot with a second shooter who doesn't shoot with your camera system, that camera calibration panel, the one at the all the way bottom that no one really messes with, that really helps to kind of bridge whatever camera brand you are using to match your current style. Um, and I do a lot of adjustment with that. They have a shadow highlight and like these saturation curves in there. Just It's different from the HSL. It's more just about a global color shift for that sensor. Um, and I mess with down that around quite a bit. So when I poured it over my preset to Fujifilm, that was where most of the work was going into. And then as far as my skin tones go, I mean, to be honest, being a portrait and wedding photographer, that is pretty much what I'm dialing in every single time I edit a photo. If it's not a very pulled back conceptual photo, um, I'm always 
spending most of my brain power making sure that the skin tones are just right. So that comes a lot with, you know, the white balance. And then if there's a little bit too harsh red or, you know, some types of green hints in the skin tones, I might adjust the HSL just a little bit to kind of fix those. Um, but it's, mm. it's something that I thank you for saying that just cause that makes me feel a little bit better about myself, but it's something that I pride myself in trying to m- make sure that when I edit to always make sure the skin tones are, looking great just because you know i i photograph mostly humans and people so it's, it's my job to make them look their best so i, I want to make sure their skin doesn't look like an alien or something like that so <laughs> well I, pro- I promise you it works really really well um reggie we're going to share your links on the um on not only the well on the fujicast website but of course on some of the apps that you listen to your podcast through you'll also see these links as well um, thank you very, very much for your time. Um, your work is incredible. Really, really in, in, enjoyed having a chat with you. And, and you know, one of the wonderful things about this podcast is is linking up with people all around the world, such as uh, such as yourself. I know Kevin Kevin takes the the rise out of me constantly for getting excited about talking <laughs> to anybody from any other country. Yeah. But I but but I actually think that's one of the greatest things about the community of YouTube and your and your YouTube channel is is growing for that reason that you're such a such a you know a, an approachable person. It seems on. On the screen, and uh, long may that that rain. And I'm hoping the channel just goes from strength to strength, Reggie. Awesome, thank you, thank you so much for having me, Neil. It goes without saying, by the way, if you do see something where you think they'd make a great guest, um, do tip us off because um, so, you know you're just as much a part of the show as uh, as anything. And um, yeah, and and we have got some emails of late suggesting some guests, and uh, I will be following those up, and Kev will be following those up. So thank you very very much for the, for those. They're they're. Um, they're really welcome. Questions then. Um, it was your turn, wasn't it? I think, uh, I think it was me. Yeah. Yes. Um, so this is from Ted Patrick. And it says, you answered the question about how to handle unruly wedding guests from Helen. I think her name was. He yes, said that. It, um, it occurred to me that unruly men are a much bigger problem for female photographers at weddings. I'd like uh, I'd like to hear any suggestions you might have uh, for them. Mm. Uh, well, first of all, I think if I remember back, that, that wasn't a wedding, actually, that Helen was at. It was a music concert. It was, it was a gig. You're right. And yeah. the the person having a go at her was not a guest, but another photographer or the husband or a, no, it, another it was, photographer. Yeah, it was it was the wife, wasn't it, of a photographer? The wife she of said, a My husband is a photographer and he wouldn't be doing this kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, So it wasn't a wedding. And then I think the conversation deviated to yeah. two hour different things. So uh, if I'm if I'm reading the gist of this question right, it occurred to me that unruly men are a much bigger problem for female photographers at weddings. I'd like to hear any suggestions you might have for them. That's hard being a man. Um, Cattle prod, I think, is a good thing. Yeah, or a taser. You can buy those in the hooky places. No, I'm joking. I, I, uh, There's not a lot you can do, really. This, Sometimes walk away I, is I, the best. Thing. I hate this idea that, um, and I'm sure it's a thing, but you know, I hate the thought that a female wedding photographer is targeted in any way differently to a male wedding photographer Mm. now i know and we know of course it's true because i mean we had ralu on the show a couple of weeks ago yes we did and she said that when she you know when she was having she had an assistant and her who was a male but she was the primary photographer and everybody assumed the male was the primary photographer and that she was the the assistant Uh, which is a terrible thing and that but but that that happens you know and i've spoken to other female wedding photographers where that happens also 
and you know all I can say it's not an answer we can give really but all I can say is you know whether you're a female or a male and and if you are being uh, you know uh, abused in any way by by a guest verbally or otherwise get yourself out of there yeah you know nobody's gonna you know nobody is going to be concerned about that get yourself no. out of there but yeah. it's never happened to me it's never happened to you i know you've had a couple of well, close I've had calls, a few but, issues yeah but you know yeah. you by and large weddings are happy places yeah. so let's let's hope it never happens Absolutely. look after yourselves guys be careful out there <laughs> <laughs> sam meggs i've got a couple of things i want to read here just into the question otherwise these will never get read sam meggs um, so I won't get on you too much about uh, facts and stuff about Canada you got wrong. But Toronto, by the way, uh, is bigger than Chicago. Uh, we have lots of uh, Toronto alone is bigger than Chicago. We have lots of great nature, but some amazing metro areas as well. I'd love to go to Canada, actually. It's, it's mm. a big sort of pin on a map of a place that's not been visited for me. Yeah. See, Patrick's been to my house twice and I've never, and been, you've to never been to Canada. Yeah. On that note, I think this is from uh, Samuel Meggs. Yes. On that note, I think you should do your photo meetup in Brighton, Ontario. Oh. Or Ontario. Ontario. We can meet up and tour some of the the sites, stop off for some great beer. I'll be your guide. Did she mention the B word? Beer? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, so, no, Samuel. It's a he. Uh, I'd uh, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. I'm just going on to... Um, I'm putting you in the... Bookings.com right now. Very much considered pile. Jason Angelini, uh, just wanted to add that um, I, I'm enjoying both your photo films. Uh, every client should have these. So, so thank you very much, Jason. If you don't know what Jason's talking about, um, that's where, um, in my uh, case anyway, I chose a few years ago to, um, to uh, use sound alongside... Um, the the images in the background. I thought, well, why should this why should this be the place only of videographers? There's no reason why a slideshow can't have um, the sounds of the actual event, and that doesn't have to be just weddings. I think uh, we had Alistair in last week, and he was talking about his personal project mm-hmm. where he's been recording people. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some sound to go with the um, the actual pictures that he's recording as well. And you do your own version of photo films as well, don't you? Yeah. But Some no, of them are quite stop motiony, which I quite like. Yeah. Mm. Interestingly, have you ever had any um, comeback from videographers about doing that kind of yeah. thing? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. They don't like it at all sometimes. Nah. It's, um, yeah. The ones I work with um, regularly ish absolutely fine they are great at gathering their own sound i tend to i tend to be a bit subservient oh okay yep no worries sir if if it's a videographer and i can see they take sound seriously then fine you might come up would you let me have the sound nine times out of ten i've been let down by somebody recently um that they 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 say yeah no worries at all Um, and then they change their mind after the fact well the one that let me down the one that let me down actually um uh, he he was he was appalling at, um, at gathering sound. He had one um, one pack that he was able to put on one speaker, um, and so therefore you got two speakers that weren't mic'd up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he um, he used a, a small Zoom H1, which are fab recorders, by the way, mm-hmm. but they're not close enough to the talents. Um, you know the person we always call them the talent mm-hmm. uh, of the person who's making the speech. Not close enough to that person um, for it to be good audio. I mean, there's a difference between having a microphone like this for a speech. It's going to be awful, isn't it? Mm. And that's what I got. Yeah. And and if if you've got a, a father making a really lovely, heartfelt speech, but it sounds like it's being read in a bathroom, it's, yeah. it's just yeah. it's not sound recording at all. So that yeah, that was a, a letdown. My fault. Should have seen that going on and, and taken control of that. 
really but sound is sound is precious and um so anyway thank you for those thoughts uh, the question now um joe thank you joe um joe abad is it love the show great insights amateur event photographer i'm building a portfolio doing free events for friends and local community groups two questions for you kev uh when how would you start making money from small local groups after doing several events for them have i completely shot myself in the foot um yeah by working for free to start with i guess is the question uh number two at these events i'm torn between documenting and reporting action versus artistically selecting uh, what i'd like to keep present to event organizers if i had my way i'd selectively keep 10 to 20 percent of what i shoot even if it's out of context where do you where do you both draw the line when it comes to picking and choosing what needs to be photographed so this could work for any form of photography i guess but let's start with number one how do you start asking for money after you've been doing it for free well you look at the kids and if they're very skinny (laughs) then you've got to feed the kids yeah i think um you know what if if you're setting up a business this is very difficult to answer because not many people set up a photography business by itself Mm. a vast majority of them have a day job and have a dream of becoming a professional photographer they carry on doing their day job and to get their foot in the door they do a few free gigs whether it's events music weddings blah 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 and because they do not have the urgency and the the necessity to charge they rarely do and then they get into the the realms the problems that um joe has joe has here in that he's become known as the you know the guy that will will help them out and joe's a good guy guy. go to him doesn't charge yeah he's sort of the earth that bloke and even if he does start charging now it you know it's going to be difficult in those circumstances however joe if so uh, sorry just before you say are you saying then don't uh, don't ever do free work no 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 no, i'm not at all but um you know i did free weddings right at the beginning Mm. and did a couple of them what i'm saying to people is and i I I say this when i'm doing mentoring is if you've got a day job that's fine that's not a problem i I hate that term weekend warriors and everything you know that's i i i i bore that but if you do have a day job if you have another source of income whether that's a you know wealthy wife husband mum dad the job that pays the bills treat your photography as a separate entity set up a separate bank account have your incomes and your expenses all tied to that bank account and use a very basic accounting system to see what's happening with it mm. don't buy any new gear unless the the business has enough in it you know don't invest in anything don't do marketing don't do anything without using that money from that business if you just constantly dip into your daily salary or whatever you've got coming from your day job you know oh, i need a new camera i need a new camera because i'm, I'm photographing that wedding next month for free so i'm just gonna buy a, i won't spend much i'm just gonna and buy one of those uh you know those those cheap fujifilm cameras what is it the xt30 oh hang on the xt3 looks nice but that's an extra thousand pound oh look at that what's that thing that, that well that begins with a g <laughs> gfx what's that gfx gfx 50 oh it's only a 50 oh there's a hundred one here oh it's only ten thousand pounds yeah uh it's all right though because i'm a doctor and so if i'm a doctor I, i've got that money i can yeah 10 grand's nothing really yeah. i mean i spend that much changing the tires on my audi yeah i'll get one of them <laughs> and that's just the end of it isn't it you know that's 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 just not going to work and so until you have your ten thousand pound in your business for your gfx then you know don't do it so that's that, that's always my kind of business advice it's a tough nut mm. to crack um 
but the fact is if you want to start charging you have to charge you you have to and you have to treat it as a very as a real business yeah you know a real business second part of that question was um about choices wasn't it um if i'd had my way i'd I'd keep 10 to 20 percent of what i shoot even if it's out of context where do you both draw the line when it comes to picking and choosing what needs to be photographed versus what's best representative of your artistic eye and hold upholding your personal style okay isn't this about what the client wants more than what you want yourself or yeah i couldn't quite figure out whether this is about doing selections or not whether Mm. um i mean if uh, what do you give in terms of how many you take compared to how many the client get percentage wise i never actually i mean i know that i present somewhere for a wedding event for me it's between 400 and 600 which is a you know, same, huge, same for me. huge number I know difference but but for between four and six hundred is fine. And you know, the bizarre thing is, it doesn't matter whether it's a six-hour wedding mm. or a sixteen-hour wedding. It always yeah. seems to be the same number. Yeah, it's similar. I don't to know me. What, why that is. If it's a portrait shoot, then um, certainly less than a hundred. Yeah. If we're walking around a lake, this can be about forty, forty-five of my favourite images. But going back to Joe's question, uh, you know, I would. Is that I, what you meant? I uh, think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be holding back images just to m- make a number up. No. So if you know, if I'm a four hundred deliver a 400 um, image photographer I'm not going to be removing images Mm. just to get them down to 400 Mm. that doesn't make sense to me if they're strong images Um, likewise I'm not going to include the images that I don't think are good enough to make that 400 so yeah ultimately it's down to what the client wants and and in terms of percentages you mentioned 10 20% 20% or whatever mm. um, I don't I, I don't know whether that's I would only give them 20% of what I shot on the day so let's just say he's taken 2,000 pictures mm. and I th- read in between the lines and, and Joe let us know if this is wrong uh, I'm thinking you're giving them every picture you take whereas yeah. you are only happy with 10 or 20 of them so your responsibility as the photographer is not only just to press the button and take the pictures but you are also the curator of those pictures so your responsibility is to go home go back to your studio or whatever and edit those down be a a strong editor edit down down to the 10-20% that you are happy with and give those to the client if you just give them every picture you take uh, and then that's not going to work is it Uh, David Yarrow recently um, have you seen David Yarrow's work does his immensely amazing uh, wildlife work doesn't he yeah absolutely he he said something very interesting about uh, you know how much you shoot Uh, plurality is the bane of many photographers says uh, uh, Yarrow said he'd uh, had something like six good pictures in 12 months now I know it's a different kind of photography mm-hmm. altogether I think sometimes this uh, the, 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 we're getting onto the numbers thing here mm. the amount you present is just not important is it it's, no. it's got to be a, a quality over quantity thing and I always remember Jeff Askoff uh, the former uh, Canon uh, wedding an- ambassador in the UK, anyway, saying that uh, he'd had a client um, that had questioned the amount of photographs being being given on one occasion. I think Jeff used to. Um, I mean, this could be going back to film days, actually. Mm-hmm. So, slight, slightly different playing field here. But I think um, I think Jeff came into the room and poured 125 pictures over a coffee table or something. Yeah. 
and said, you know, do you think that's enough? And anybody facing 125 prints over a table would say, yes, that's yeah. more than enough. Yeah. It doesn't need to be five, six, seven, eight, nine hundred thousand, two thousand pictures. No. But no. the problem is these days people... Expectations. It's expectations set by other photographers. That's oh, yes. the problem. Yes, so yes, people yes. are using it as marketing collateral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You will get 1,000 pictures. I will give you every picture I take on the day. Yeah. And that's just ludicrous, Yeah, frankly. Daft. Right, yours. Uh, okay, hi, Kevin and Neil. Um, I'd pay for this podcast. Thanks. That's very kind, <laughs> isn't it? Where, sh- where should we send... Um, well, do you know, funnily enough, I saw the other to. day um, the... Um, the the platform that we're on, um, th- this makes no difference for, for you if you're a listener because, the, um, you know, the platform that, it, that it's on is the platform that it's on. You wouldn't know. This is the one I can never pronounce. It's called Libsyn, okay? It's, uh, <laughs> Say it again. Libsyn. <laughs> Libsyn. L-I-B-S-Y-N. It's a very, very good um, uh, podcast hosting um, service. Do have uh, an opportunity to have a bonus material uh, thing. So uh, I, did, I did start thinking of bonus, bonus material. material. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, anyway, can you hear those cogs turning? We don't need. We don't need it now because Patrick Betcher, Patrick Betcher is going to send us all his money, is and, he? and he's going to send it all the way from Milwaukee. Fabulous. Um, Milwaukee isn't that where the Fonz was from? Milwaukee. Was Milwaukee the Fonz? I think it was. Come on, Alan, let us know. <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, hi, Kevin and Neil. Um, blah, blah, blah. I pay for this podcast. It's very nice. Um, as someone attempting a career change into photography, I am trying to find the balance between two things, breaking into the industry by taking on available jobs yeah. and defining and advertising the specific type of work I'd like to do in order to create my own enjoyable and sustainable career sustainable even I've heard you both talk about advertising only what you'd like to shoot and being Mm. prepared to turn down the rest I would love that freedom of course but imagine that process takes some finesse and at times sacrifice I guess my question is this could you both talk a little bit about your successes and struggles as you created your business identity in those early days in order to create the freedom you enjoy today cheers from a guy in Milwaukee USA yeah. who prefers to shoot weddings in a documentary style yes thank you Patrick good for you send us all your money <laughs> <laughs> go on then um, well I think the, the, the critical thing is that show what you want to shoot yeah. um, which yeah. is is easier said than done I absolutely understand that and I also I, I must admit I feel I feel a, a little bit sorry for um, our friends in America who re- desperately want to shoot this documentary style as we try and do because it's just not done it's not the thing in 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 many parts of the world in fact and i think i feel the usa is one of those places um not that it's not done by photographers and and there's some amazing ones out there i mean tyler working for example i love his stuff right now you're a big fan of his aren't you yeah i love tyler um and i just think that the clients or the client the potential weddings out there are very formulaic follow a particular format uh, you know that whole kind of um, first look in the morning, and you know the the the, the dinner the evening before, all of that kind of stuff. And, and I just think it's different. You know the expectations are very different. But that said, if you are shooting in a minority, in a minority style, mm. that means your target audience are smaller, but the you've got a much greater chance of hooking those fish because there's less of you as the photographer to look for. So it's an advantage. I think it's an advantage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Before every other so-and-so starts doing it. But you do need to have the bottle to do it. Mm. Um, simple as that. And you can't... But you don't know until, until you start... You could set up a sub-business. You could set up something on the side that's very very clearly focused for one thing only mm. so 
So when people go to that website, they think, yeah, I identify with that. I know what that's about. I know what I'm in for. Yeah. Or you could simply do something like, you know, any if let's just say, you know, there is nothing wrong with doing portraits and documentary photography can, of course, include all of that stuff. But let's just say that's the element that you want to shoot less of. Um, Just you know, put less emphasis on those on the website. Yeah. If it's the blog post that you're writing and you're you've done your portraits and you've done your group shots and all that kind of stuff, but you don't want to emphasize it, don't feel that you have to put those at the top of the blog post. Don't even feel like you need to put them in order. You could have a separate section of your blog post right at the very bottom mm. that just says simply headed you know portraits whatever and just so, so that just pushes the images down the bottom so you're still showing them if you're concerned about not getting bookings because of that but you're not giving them so much emphasis and certainly don't have them on the home page and no, you know no, all no, of that no. kind of stuff ultimately it really is about having the balls to do it and you know you, you you've got two choices you either do it the way you enjoy it as you mentioned patrick or you do it in a way you don't enjoy it in which case you'll stop doing it pretty yeah, soon yeah or you just carry on doing it and get very bitter which yeah. is a great shame yeah and which means you'll stop um i i actually have got a few portraits in my gallery um not many not many at all but just enough to uh, to divert that question um, if, if it should arise. But fortunately, these days, um, the last couple of weeks in particular have proved that people, they go straight past those portraits. They're not interested in them and they're, they're, they're hiring me for, for the right reasons. Jezza B, thank you very much for this question. Hi, Neil, Kevin, really enjoying listening to the podcast. Highlight for me was um, a couple of weeks ago. That will be episode nine when you interviewed Sean Tucker, the YouTuber. What an amazing photographer he is. Thank you for the introduction. My question's about second shooters. To give you some context, I'm a Brit, Canberra-based, moved here three years ago. I was a wedding shooter in Brighton. My business is starting to now build here. I remember this being a question I got asked in the UK, but here in Canberra, all the wedding shooters seem to be husband and wife teams. I like to work alone, but it's losing me business. Any thoughts as to what I can say in favour of being a solo shooter when I talk to prospective clients? Now, I can give you something I say. I've, I mean, uh, we've talked about Giles before, um, Giles Penfound, very dear friend of mine who um, is is um, still a photographer, but he's not working in, in conflict photography anymore. He was a conflict photographer, worked for the British Army for many, many years. And um, I remember us having one of our, our um, we, we've had these as well, uh, Kevin. In fact, we're well due. I've, I've kept this. Okay, this, here, look at this. This got... Taylor's very old single harvest port from 19... This is 1964. Look. Look at that bottle. Wow. I've kept that purposefully. I've not drunk... Oh, just, I've kept that for you and I to have... We, we, it's been two years yeah. since we last got... Um, it, What's it, the word? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we had one of our port finishes to... Uh, look, I've still got that. It's there. It's, yeah. it's got your... It's got my name on it, that. Your name yeah. on it. Yeah. Um, but we, I was having a, a port fueled um, after dinner discussion with Giles, and he said to me, he leant across the table, said, "You know, you wedding photographers are a funny breed." And I, I bet s- there was another word that began with F before then. <laughs> yeah, that's. A- and I said, "What do you mean by that?" He said, "Well, it seems to me like you hunt in packs." And uh, what he meant by that was was that there's there's always two or three of you. Why do you need that many people to tell a story? Honestly, is that I? Um, in fact, I keep see that picture of uh, there's mm-hmm. um, a Challenger tank mm-hmm. up there. Mm-hmm. That's a picture Giles took um, in one of the Iraq conflicts, 
and uh, I think it was one of the first he took when he stepped off um, a Chinook helicopter and somebody <laughs> put a camera in his hand and said go make some pictures <laughs> and um, and I keep it there to tell exactly the story um, to all the clients who ever come here and talk to me mm. and ask might ask that question or actually I normally I normally um, present this uh, as a question from me mm-hmm. um, so we can get rid of this so that if it becomes an issue later on where they're seeing another photographer that they'll they'll refer back to my picture of or the picture on my wall from Giles mm. and I'll tell them this story about the fact that he covered Iraq Serbia Bosnia Northern Ireland in fact the list just goes on and on and on and um, and pretty much all of the time there would have been other photographers there but when he was working Working, he worked alone, and it was a very simple reason: less photographers, less noise, less less of a less of a target. And um, he found as a storyteller um, that he didn't need other people around him. It mm. just cramped his style, and sooner or later, people will be looking over their shoulder, wondering where the other one was, mm-hmm. where the other photographer is, where's the other one. Mm. And he found that he could be uh, far more engaging because he, he's never afraid to engage with people when he's making pictures, even documentary style. Mm. And uh, and for him, it worked. And and I use that as an example. Mm. Uh, it, it's definitely a thing over here as well. I think um, he said that he was in Australia, but it's here. One of the things that annoys me is when you see on websites two photographers. Yeah, you know, um, like it's the reason to purchase. Yeah, and and uh, or you I'm know, being cautious here because we worth we we were both work as solo shooters mainly. Yes, no, and this is not to this is not to. Um, uh, you know, it's undermine the reasons why people do, no. you know, like working with another person because it can be many and varied. No, no, absolutely. And as long as both of those people are good photographers, then great. That should be a. So as long bro- as have you just broken? <laughs> Something else I've just broken. I don't even know what it is. Um, so as long as those, as long as they're both photographers, right, and and good photographers, and and, and that's fine. But it's when it's you know people advertise themselves as wedding photographers, and then they think, oh, hang on, we need to everybody else doing a second one my boyfriend uh, he, you know he can he can get a, give him give him a camera or my girlfriend give him a give her a camera yeah. you know and then just because it's a second person it doesn't mean they're a second photographer and it certainly doesn't mean they're good and you know not not that i'm saying that you or i are particularly good at whatever but i'm just saying that you cannot you, you, you cannot commoditize an art form you just can't and yeah. so by just saying there's two of us yeah. doesn't mean it's going to be good and in often cases it may be negative yeah. so the, the what I say to clients when they talk about that is I say that you know I, I, I similar kind of analogy but not not, not not kind of military one is I just say that the more of me there are the more your client your guests will be aware and you know you they will end up feeling like they've been paparazzied rather yes, than feeling like they've been to a wedding yes. and that normally that that kind of sinks in and they, they think about that a little bit um, but don't get me wrong I, I mean we know Rob Rob and Sarah Gillespie they work together yeah. as a husband wife team yeah. and they work very well together because a they're both very good photographers and you know be they they're married and they they work as a team and it all works well um you know rob isn't just sarah's extra hand on the day and sarah's not just rob's extra hand on the day and it shouldn't be a marketing 
you know, it just shouldn't be a marketing thing. I don't think like having two photographers is just like saying I've got four cameras. Yeah. I've got two cameras. Yeah. I, you know, I got I got better shoes. I've got uh, my um, the shirt I'm wearing is better than the other bloke. It's not that doesn't make the pictures any better. It doesn't make the um, you know the the style any better. It doesn't. It's it it means nothing. It just means you're going to get more pictures, and they're not necessarily going to be good pictures. Yeah. It might interfere with the day. Um, well, so, when you look at a, a, a magazine at the weekend or or whatever, and you're looking at a photo story or something, is that picture is that is that photo story that you're engaged in any less engaging because there was only one person? Yeah, there? of course it's not. And I mean, of course, I get it when people want coverage of bridal prep and groom prep, you know. And oh, that's, that's a logistics. That's thing. a logistics yeah. thing, absolutely. And so that's that's where it does play into it. Mm. Um, but how many how many times have you done groom prep in the last? Three years. Well, you know, when when the groom's been in the same building, and I've darted backwards and forwards between the um, the rooms, I, I really don't gather that much from the blokes. I never do it. I just don't. Just I never do it. It's almost like, what are you doing here? Really? No. Do we need you? Exactly. We'll see you at the church, mate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're going to have a pint. Yeah, yeah. And and and, that, and that's that's normally if I'm doing any groom stuff, that's where I'll catch them having a pint downstairs or you know whatever. Um, so yeah, I mean. It's the same here as it is in Australia, clearly. Yeah, but it's, same question. Yeah, um, have we got time for one more question? Uh, I do have one. Go on then. You not do sure the last I, last one of the week. I'm not sure I can answer it though. Um, Dennis oh. Dennis Mook. It could be an open question. Yeah, left unanswered. Left. Uh, sorry, <laughs> left the show. I love the show and love your personalities. Mm, nice. Uh, photographing weddings, as we as well as other types of events, can require you to be continuously on your feet for many hours. The comfort of your feet can be the difference between being grumpy while enduring. <laughs> sheer agony or not being a distraction a uh, good question. to your concentration yeah. weddings and other events require a dress code of a sort and one can't wear just any type of comfortable shoes what kind of shoes do you recommend <laughs> I love that <laughs> that are comfortable and, and not causing pain what shoes do you wear Neil well I, you know I, I try to leave my high heels behind <laughs> um, I don't know um, I, I got a really nice pair of um, I mean I, I don't want them to look too um, what's the word? I mean, I don't, I don't want to. I, I I don't want them to be too formal because otherwise I end up with real like mm. foot ache. Um, and you're, you're he's right. You're on your your you're on your your pegs for forever. It seems sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I got a really nice pair of uh, DM shoes recently. Mm. They're slightly. They're not the the big sort of sticky outy wedgy ones. The, the the wedge that goes all the way down. Yeah, they look quite good. They polish up nicely. Yeah, and feel comfortable. They will last as well. Yeah, DMs. As my mum mum used to say, buy shoes that last, son. Absolutely. Yeah, quite right. Yeah, I've got a pair of. Um I don't know what they're called. Charles something or other made them. Charles Twit. Mm. Is that the Twit ones? Twit, 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 Twit? Mm, no. Charles? No. Don't okay. think so. Right. Maybe. Anyway, they're suede and they're really comfortable, really light. Oh, you love your suede shoes. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're brown. Um, so, yeah, I've had them for years. I've, honestly, I think I've probably shot what is in them for the last five years. Do you ever wear your green um, DMs? <laughs> no, I love my green People DMs. People love your green DMs. Do you ever, we found them the other day. We were, we were tidying up the, uh, the kids' room and um, we came across a box of my shoes and my green DMs is at the bottom. And I was like, Gee. I wondered where they'd gone. And Jen was like, yeah, there's a reason I put them there. <laughs> she doesn't like them? She doesn't like my green DMs, no. Oh, your green DMs. Go, do you remember when you went to, um, was it was it Tokyo? And everybody loved your green DMs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They loved it, yeah. So talk of the town. Mm. Mm, yeah, Kevin's green DMs. So, well, you could start wearing those to the uh, to the weddings, maybe. Could could you? Yeah, they do look like Wellington boots, though. Do they? Yeah. Oh, I think they look quite cool. Yeah, no, they're anyway, cool. I'm cool. 
Thank you for your questions. As always, that's the end of another week. Thank you for your questions. Lifeblood of the show. We we can't make that this engine. Black ice. It's an absolute <laughs> death trap. We can't make this engine run without your thoughts and questions. Send them in via the website address. Click at fujicast.co.uk. Thank you to our guest this week, Reggie Ballesteros. Um, uh, by the way, all the um, the links to the show will be um, will be on the website as well. Uh, big love to our friends at Simpler Straps for letting us give away a camera strap each to our favourite email question of the week and if you'd like to see their amazing straps then go to simpler.us right payoffs we're going to have to think of a new way of doing this mm. we're guess, to get them. guess who it is well in fact I'm going to go first this time it's going to be um, it's going to be our young lad Thomas my dad's Instagram is Neil James see his films on YouTube at Neil James Photo his website is neiljames.com for pictures and one to one mentoring and you can hear his other photography podcast which is called Breathe Pictures wherever you get your podcasts oh and don't forget his name is spelled N-E-A L-E. And on behalf of Kevitz Rosa. My dad's Instagram is Kevin Mullins Photography. See his films on YouTube at Documentary I. His website is kevinmullinsphotography.co.uk. Or for street workshops, training, and everything Fujifilm, go to f16.clip. Do you know, I keep meaning to say this, but Rosa's got that really cool, sort of airy kind of sound of voice for her. She could be a voiceover artist. Oh, she, do. she wants yeah. to be an actress. That's a. Well, that's that's ambition. Yeah. Say that to Rosa. Yeah. Or actor. I don't think you're allowed to say actor. It's actor now, isn't actor, it? Yeah. 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 Thank you in advance for the love you spread in the Apple Podcast reviews. We're trying to mention each and every one in the self-indulgent minute, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.